You are listening to Muslim in Moderation, discussions on minority culture, identity and politics with Ali Ahmed. Welcome to episode 16 of the podcast. One of the things that emerged from the Capitol Hill insurrection was that it put a spotlight on the dangers of far-right extremism that was allowed to fester under the Trump presidency. Trump was acquitted in the impeachment trial, but the whole world is now aware of groups like the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters. But many civil advocates, like the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council, have been warning of white supremacist activity in their area for several years. This episode features Momin Saeed, a civil rights advocate and former executive director of AMPAC, someone who's been at the forefront of these issues, particularly organizing the response to the recent spate of violence against Muslim women in my hometown of Edmonton, Alberta. I started by asking Momin about his concerns about white supremacist activities in the context of the 2021 storming of the Capitol. Here's Momin. In reference of what's been transpiring at a macro level is an indication of what's transpiring basically in, in specific as well. So when you see people being emboldened by what took place via the insurrection on, on January 6th, I think that's just the underlying symptom that has been festering for a long time. And then it showed its ugly face through the facilitation of having a leader like Donald Trump and others who are stoking that flame. In reference of Alberta in 2019, when the New Zealand massacre took place in, in Christchurch, we called to the federal government and stating that these white supremacist groups, or especially the violent white supremacist groups, need to be put on a terror watch list. And three percenters were one of the people that, or one of the groups that we were calling upon. But we know that there's not just them, there's uh, multiple, many other groups as well that need to be put onto this list. The th- in reference of the three percenters themselves, is that we know that there's an active base here in Alberta, that there's live ammo training that takes place. There's active recruitment that is being taking place. So when you see organizations like this, that people like Alexandra Bissonnette, the one who committed the massacre in Montreal, you see the terrorist in New Zealand who had the three percenters on his gun and a source of inspiration that, you know, if you have organizations that are taking inspiration from such radical groups that it is concerning that they are actively present in our province yet from our perspective when i speak to the community or when i speak to other organizations that are working on combating hate it feels like there hasn't been much done in referencing of curtailing and curbing this type of organization, this type of group. So in that regards, it is a concern as to, we we hope that nothing crazy happens and inshallah it won't. But the question is that, when will these type of organizations start being cracked down upon? One of the concerns that I feel is that, and this was something that we said actually to the Minister of Public Safety, the federal minister, that if, This type of group that was doing active live training, uh, ammunition shootings, active recruiting, and they were under the banner of ISIS or of Al-Qaeda, 
I firmly believe that that organization or this group would be the, being immediately dismantled and there would have been consequences. So we do feel that there is a level of asymmetric um, enforcement at times or maybe an asymmetric assessment of real dangers when it comes to local homegrown terrorists compared to ones that come from overseas that the government has identified. So in reference of my concerns to white supremacist movements in Alberta, I mean, I would like to preface it with that majority of Albertans, majority of Edmontonians, majority of Calgarians and Canadians in general do not ascribe to, to this type of stuff. And in fact, when crazy events happen, the outpour that we have from all communities of all colors, of all walks of life is overwhelmingly positive and overwhelming just to see how much support you get. So I don't want to... Um, come across in any way stating that, you know, a particular group or a color of group is inherent to move towards this type of stuff. But um, there's just only a small segment that um, ascribes to these type of beliefs. And that's my hope as well, that, that it is just a small segment. Yeah, I think you're quite right to point out that this is a minority. And in the past, it was left a silent minority. But you know, one of the tragedies of the Trump era is that this silent minority has now become a more vocal minority and have been given a voice and a platform. And I think we've also seen that what they will do with that platform, that homegrown terrorism is a real a real thing, which we saw at uh, at the Capitol Hill building. I wondered now that there has at least been these few incidents, whether law enforcement agencies will then start taking this threat a little bit more seriously. So I know that you've raised these concerns and you sort of alluded to the fact that these were issues that you've been raised at the highest level of government. But what has their response been? I think in reference of the initial meeting we had, there was understanding recognition. In fact, at that time frame, the minister, the federal minister himself, was surprised to hear of this news. So I feel there is a genuine disconnect in reference of understanding what is actually taking place on the ground route outside of Ottawa um, when it comes pertaining to Alberta. So when we had given this type of information, the minister was shocked. He goes, look, I did not even know that this is happening. So I think there is a level of disinformation or, or lack of education on what is transpiring. I will give the government, federal government credit. They have obviously taken things more seriously that um, there are four white supremacist groups on the plethora of non-white groups that are on that list, which is Blood and Honor, Proud Boys, Combat 18, the base. Proud Boys being the latest one, as they seem to have more of a presence when it came to the Capitol Hill insurrection that took place, and immediately the government recognized that these guys exist here, and this can't be taken lightly. So I think the government is recognizing what for, I don't know, years now, the Southern Law Poverty Institute, even the FBI, who mentioned in reports that the greatest level of terrorism to the U.S. is white males from the age of 20 to 35 who are from the Christian faith or ascribed to the Christian faith. So this is something that that has been pointed out. I don't think the government were taking this seriously. There wasn't a level of concern or alarm for whatever reason. Systemic racism could potentially play a role in that. But now that 
all these organizations who've been calling out the government since basically 9-11 that you have to take stuff seriously, that I think now that they've come on board and recognize that, look, what people were saying for years has now come into fruition in the most ugliest of forms. So the federal government obviously is coming on board with that. And I think other governments as well, provincial, our local city officials have been uh, vocal against this when any type of attack or um, stance of solidarity, the mayor and the other city councillors have clearly come out in support of the community, clearly are articulating that this is something that cannot happen in, in our city and in our province. Same with the provincial government, they also have come out. So there is this recognition of what's taking place. But I think what I find concerning a little bit as well is that it was this January 6th insurrection south of our border that helped create the sense of urgency that things need to change. However, I feel that it is concerning that in July, we had an individual by the name of Corey Huron, who had four-loaded guns in his truck, rammed the gates of Riddle Hall, where the Governor General and the Prime Minister of Canada lives, or at that point wasn't living, but where their residence is. And the way the standoff took place, I feel is a concern because if you have a person who was basically trying to attack the leader of our country, someone holding the highest public office, and at that point, a drastic measure wasn't taken then, I just find it concerning that maybe they didn't think it was as serious until it took place um, down south. But you know, we have our own example that took place. I mean, our prime minister could have been attacked. Clearly, the guy wasn't coming to have a tea party with the prime minister. So we focus on what's happening down south. Yet when we have these blatant, obvious items that are happening within Canada, we seem to not consider it with the level of sense of urgency. And I relate to one of the sisters who's, uh, who's, who's who lives in Canada, as an American, I said, what Corey Huron did was the equivalent of someone running through the gates of the White House with loaded guns and going after the President of the United States. This isn't something that should be taken lightly. So I feel that there is this level of maybe complacency at times when it comes to the perpetrator being white, as opposed to if the perpetrator was someone of color. And again, I'm going to preface this by stating that I'm not saying all law enforcement agencies are racist um, inherently or whatever the case may be. But I think there is this level of track record showing that a sense of urgency concern is shown or enacted on more from the perception that we get as a community when someone is not white as opposed to when someone is is white. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right with that concern because it seems like this is the age-old problems of minorities is that if you're a minority, then any action that you do represents your entire community. And if you're part of the majority group, you know, if, if you're white, then you're a lone wolf who's acting uh, independently, perhaps suffering from mental illness, and, and that's the way it's perceived. And because of that, it seems like when you now have these organized groups, it's a lot more difficult for people just to dismiss the fact that this isn't a larger problem, that these people aren't organized. And in the same way, you would hope that law enforcement agencies would take them seriously, but also would have some sympathy to towards Muslims and saying people who are in these situations may also be suffering from mental health issues and treating them harshly when they need to be treated harshly, treating them with compassion when they needed to be treated with compassion. But at least 
trying to eliminate this issue of the minority majority double standard because I think that's what's most difficult for minority communities uh, in in Canada and in the U.S. is this feeling of that double standard of that the system is acting against you. Completely agree. You know, there's been a real uptick in violence against Muslims in Alberta, specifically targeting women. These aren't necessarily connected to groups. They, They may be, they may not be, but it's still been a noticeable increase in the trend. What do you think is behind these incidents? It is really concerning considering how multicultural the city of Edmonton is, the province of Alberta is. The Muslim community alone almost comprises 10% of the population of Edmonton. And that's just the Muslim community. You've got the Sikh community, you've got the Hindu community, and then you've got ethnic communities, Chinese communities and, and Vietnamese and Philippine communities. So uh, people from colored communities comprise uh, a good percentage of the population. So when you see these type of events that have transpired over the past two months, it's concerning in the regards that you don't, first of all, think that it will happen in your city, especially the city being the one that has the first mosque of Canada established and the deep root that the Muslim community has here, right? We have Lebanese businessmen who came to Edmonton basically around the 1860s, 1870s. Plus or minus. You see that in that time frame, we had Muslims already present and involved in this community. So then when you have a little bit of that context and you see what's transpiring, I feel there's a couple aspects in that. One is for sure there are people suffering from mental health issues. COVID has exacerbated it. And we know that right now, with the recent report that just came out yesterday, that Alberta, out of all of Canada, or all major provinces of Canada, has basically the highest level of dealing with um, depression or other issues that are taking place. And that's on multiple standpoints. That's because of COVID. That's because of how Alberta has been battered with the oil prices. The economy has been affected. People being unemployed. So, you know, there are people genuinely who are being affected by that. When they come out, they're looking for a scapegoat. And who is a scapegoat? Someone who is visually looking as a Muslim. How do I take frustration on? You know, my problems is because of these guys, even though it's not the case. And they go and um, they take out their frustration. So not that that in any way is justified. But yes, there is some people who are suffering from a mental health perspective who have probably transpired some of these attacks. In the same token, that level of benefit of the doubt needs to be afforded to Muslims as well. That which I feel is not afforded as often, um, not afforded as often from the media when it's reporting on Muslims. So this is something that I think that as a community, we are more generous to afford that to others as others are ready to afford that to us. The other aspect is that you, you we genuinely have probably people who um, perpetrated, who genuinely do have a racist agenda against Muslims. And again, being emboldened by what has transpired down south, that probably helped facilitate these people to feel that they're emboldened or to be bold enough to go out and attack unassuming and innocent Muslim women who are just standing to take a bus, who are sitting in their cars, who are just walking down the street. And they feel emboldened and they feel justified to do that because Muslims are considered the enemy or that we are um, part 
of the system that's causing a systemic breakdown for people of the Caucasian race, which is, of course, what some of these white supremacist groups think, that the colored people are here to take over. So I feel that is obviously another aspect that is playing into these attacks. And lastly, I think even now because of COVID, everyone has a face mask on. Perhaps maybe people are thinking, you know, I can get away with this now because it's hard. It's not impossible to identify, but it's harder to now identify people as easily because as a norm, now your face is covered. And one of the things that we see is that there was, uh, there was someone sharing uh, a meme that two years ago, if you went into a bank with a face covering on, you would be told to leave. Now, if you come into a bank without a face covering, you'll be told to leave, right? So you just see within two years how the situation has, has changed. And I think this allows people to feel they have a level of anonymity that they can perform what they want to do and get away with it. So I, I kind of feel these are the three prongs that are playing into the recent attacks. Now, when we speak with the law enforcement, of course, um, because of ongoing investigations, I mean, I was speaking with a law enforcement agency yesterday, um, but they were not able to provide detail because it's an active uh, investigation going on the most recent attacks that have transpired. So you don't know the full details and um, you don't have access to the full details, I guess, unless and when the law enforcement agency feels that their investigation has been completed and they're able to release some of that detail, which would then be able to provide us more context as to really how was this motivated? Was this um, hate motivated? Um, was this a white supremacist? Was this someone who was completely ignorant? Um, was this someone suffering from mental health issues? And so on and so forth. So. These are type of things that that we have access to once these investigations are, are completed. Thank you for listening to Muslim in Moderation. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and give it a rating. A new episode will be out monthly. For guest profiles, episodes and show notes, visit www.muslimInmoderation.com.